Your food affects your mood. We all know that. But you know why? It's because the mood-regulating hormone serotonin is actually made in your digestive tract. That means if your digestion is working properly, so is your serotonin factory. But if it's not, if you're not giving your body the proper nutrition to fuel the factory, you simply can't make the hormones that your body needs. But with the massive digestive issues going on in our country, no wonder we're having a massive mood problems in this country as well. So join me and to understand how to eat your way to happiness. I'm Sarah Heiner, and this is the Bottom Line Advocator Podcast. Don't forget, please rate and review us and share so that we can get the word out and help a lot of people get happier and healthier. Hi there. Happy Thursday. Happy happiness and health Thursday. Um, it is great to see you. I'm Sarah Heiner. I'm president of Bottom Line, and I'm so glad that you're with me. And we're going to talk today about depression, serotonin, the industry of depression, and in fact, the interesting connection about what you eat has far more influence about how happy you are than whether or not you're taking drugs, which, oh, by the way, are not so effective. So we're going to talk about eating your way to happiness today. Doesn't that sound really good? And no, I'm sorry, donuts are not included in that. Um, as usual, let me give you my reminders. Um, we've got a growing library of our videos. They're in um, the, the video stream of the Facebook, our Facebook group, of Bottom Line Inc. Facebook group. Um, we also put copies of them because I find it easier to find in YouTube. So come on over to our YouTube channel, subscribe to that Bottom Line Inc.'s YouTube channel. We have hundreds of videos in there, including a bunch in there with our guest, Dr. Andrew Rubman, that I did years ago with him. So we've got all sorts of information in there on all sorts of topics. So go over there, share these, tell your friends about them. If you um, love today's um, video uh, session and you want to tell a friend about it, you can either share it from Facebook or you can let them know. It'll be up in a couple of days um, on um, on YouTube. So there's always those in there. So come on back. It's a great resource with all sorts of information. Um, downloads as usual, a couple of things that we are giving away for free because I want people happy and healthy. Um, an immune pro, uh, an immune um, book, download of content. Um, there's nothing that you can do that's more important for your health in the COVID land or anything else land than to have a strong immune system. They're not talking about it in the headlines. They're telling you to triple mask and double mask, but what you can do to your best defenses is to strengthen your immune system. Doctors aren't talking about it necessarily. The media certainly is not talking about it, but we're talking about it and we're giving you free information. There's a link in um, the chat there for you to download that. Um, also pain. I don't know about you sitting around, uh, you know, we're all sitting at our desks far longer than we used to. Um, and that isn't so good for our bodies. Stress creates pain, creates inflammation, and that is not good. So um, we have another free download. Again, I just want, we just want to help people. Um, so there's another link to be able to download a, a free booklet of information about, I think it's called dissolve your pain. You'd think I'd know the title of it by now. But no, I don't. I just know that it's got great information to help everybody feel better. So you can download that. Next week, we have two Facebook Lives, actually. Um, next Wednesday, Dr. Max Gomez is going to be back with me, um, the Emmy Award-winning medical journalist from um, New York Area Television. And he, we're going to be talking about vaccine updates. A lot of people have questions about vaccines. They're out now. They're getting them. And then you hear noise about side effects and fevers and the different ones that are out there and all sorts of questions that have come up. So we're gonna get an update on vaccines for COVID. So that's next Wednesday at four o'clock. Next Thursday at four o'clock, I know I'm giving you all this stuff. I'm sorry to vomit it all on you. Um, next Thursday at four o'clock is actually um, a breakthrough thing that we're doing. It's a happiness webinar. This one you have to sign up for. 
Um, all of our other Facebook lives are um, when you just show up. But this one, it's still free, but we're asking for people to sign up. This is a whole new area. I've been talking about it. Even talking today to Dr. Rubman um, is, is dabbling in that area in terms of our abilities to control our emotions and the connection between our mind and our body and our, and our spirit. And that it's not just separate boxes, but they actually are all interconnected. We'll talk about that. You'll see that in this conversation today. So I'm doing a whole webinar next week on Thursday at four o'clock about happiness, a new program that Bottom Line's introducing called the Awakening Happiness um, Program Membership. So um, we're gonna talk about that. We're gonna um, um, explore, sorry. Um, we're gonna explore the aspect of happiness that people are not necessarily keying in on. And as a result, as you all know, there's a lot of unhappiness out there in the world and that is not helping people. It's hurting their health. It's hurting their effectiveness. So let's see if we can shift that. Um, with that, I have one other piece, which is if you have questions, if you have comments, put them in the chat box. Um, my friend Lauren, as always, is on the other side. So she will pass your comments along or your questions along to me. So put them on in there so that um, if anything, any questions that arise, um, we will we will try to include them now, or if, they, uh, if we don't get to them during the program, then we'll get you an answer back afterward. All right, with that, let me take on, bring on my very dear friend, my mentor, my, <laughs> that's put this Humpty Dumpty together, Dr. Andrew Rubman. Um, I will tell you how wonderful he is. I always read the bio so I get all the points right. Um, he's a naturopathic physician and, the found, and a founding member of actually the American Association of Naturopathic Physicians. He is the founder and medical director of the Southbury Clinic for Traditional Medicines in Southbury, Connecticut. And his specialty as a primary care provider, he actually helps people of all ages to resist illness by improving their wellness. That's all, I've talked about this before, the naturopathic philosophy of helping our bodies do what they know how to do versus the allopathic or the mainstream medicine philosophy of let me look at this isolated piece for the most part and suppress that, make that piece work better. But um, Andy specializes in actually helping people to create their wellness. Um, his special interests are gastroenterology and endocrinology. Um, and this, hence, hence, we're going to be talking about gastroenterology because serotonin is in our gut. Um, he has been for over 20 years a contributing medical editor to Bottom Line and a member of our Bottom Line panel of experts. And he has a great blog that you can sign up for at Bottom Line called Nature Docs Patient Diary. And there are all sorts of interesting case studies of um, people that came into his office with whatever their issues were and how he miraculously helped him. Um, and you can learn more about Dr. Andy um, at southburyclinic.com. Hello, my friend. It's always great to see you. Thank you. Nice to see you again, Sarah, too. Yeah, as though we don't talk 9,000 times a week, right? <laughs> yeah, I know, but I don't get the visual impact as well. So it's nice to see you in person, quote unquote. It's true. Okay, a little screen, a little virtual. There you um, go. So, and I apologize to everybody. I, I can't get off my distraction. I look blue. Um, so I apologize. I look blue. I've got natural light that's coming in on me and the camera likes it blue. It's balancing to that. So we'll work that out next week. So I apologize if I look like a blueberry today. Um, but Andy, you look all in the pink. Um, oh, thank you. So, so let's talk about, I'm going to call it the depression industry. Um, and that this, the, the they, 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 the premise of the depression industry is that there is a serotonin problem and that if people had more serotonin, the happiness hormone, right, the, that, that controls their mood, that affects your mood, then you'll be happier, then your, your mood will be better. 
And, the, and what they're saying is that your body does not have enough access to serotonin and therefore let's help your body have more access to serotonin and then you'll feel better. Except for the fact that there's a major flaw in that. Go. Absolutely. The drug that they're using is called an SSRI, which means that it slows down the reuptake or recycling of the serotonin material in the place that it works in the body. And that sounds initially like a pretty good idea, but my contention is why not help the body to make more of it rather than worrying about trying to disrupt the recycling? Isn't there going to be a uh, problem with that? And eventually there are, there are a number of problems to it that I won't uh, bore you with, but the um, issue is that over time you become more and more dependent on the drug and it really doesn't help you to make more serotonin. In fact, it may um, hinder your ability to make serotonin. So it kind of guarantees its own uh, ongoing sales. Uh, you're much better off taking uh, sources of serotonin, taking um, foods that have tryptophan in them and helping your body to make more of the serotonin rather than relying on the effects of the drug. So, And here's the interesting thing that, I mean, these the SSRIs are only about 50% effective. They're really not effective. And people, when they do it, again, they're trying to, to, as you said, create more absorption of the serotonin in the body, create more access to it, except for the fact that there's an underlying problem, which is in the factory of serotonin. Right. Consider it a little bit like, um, you know, you've got an old fashioned farm spigot on the side of the house and your object is to get more water in the bucket. Um, what would you do? Would you um, just concentrate on uh, patching up the occasional little holes that are on the bottom of the bucket with tape or open up the faucet? Okay. Why not open up the faucet? Why not help your body to create more rather than hindering the reuptake of it? And as you mentioned, the medical industry, um, Tryptophan is an amino acid and it can't be patented and people can't sell it for big bucks. But if you make a reuptake inhibitor, which is a drug and a unique substance, you can patent that and you can sell it for a lot of money. And the only the reason that it works 50% of the time is 50% of the people are not producing enough serotonin for the SSRI to actually work. So it's like there aren't enough drips coming into the bottom of the bucket for the level to go up, regardless of how good you are at patching the holes. Right. And again, if I haven't, if, if Andy hasn't been clear, I haven't, the serotonin manufacturing site, the manufacturing plant is in your stomach. It's in your intestinal tract. Um, as well as in the brain, right? About well, 70, 75, 80% right. or even more. Yeah. Some say 90, I, I think more like 80, 85% is actually in the gut, in the, uh, in the lining of the tissue. And, um, um, helps a great deal with, uh, with normal bowel regularity and also the, um, ability of that membrane to act by warding off things that you don't want to absorb from the gut, like a selective membrane. And a lot of depression, a lot of bad feeling comes from those compounds streaming into the body, so-called leaky gut syndrome. So that's another effect of serotonin on mood. So this is the thing that I, I you know, I've, you and I, for 20 years, we've been trying to get the, the digestion message out there. And it sounds so boring. So many people think it's what goes in and goes out and it's fine. And you've all heard about all the probiotics and all the good, all the flora in your body. And I think there's some people who get it, but it, again, it's this thing outside your body. And the, the message I'm trying for everybody out there to, to continue to, to realize is that it's 
there's this connect the, what our body does feeds back to our moods. What our moods do feed back to our body, that there is a connection and our bodies do this work. And if we can get that system working optimally, then we can feel great. If we can get this manufacturing site working properly with serotonin, which is where it's being produced in our gut, the majority of it, then let's get that working. But the problem is a lot of people's digestion isn't working right. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. Um, mm-hmm. that's where that's, that's at the root of this. So many people, your digestion isn't, isn't right. So, um, so let's, I'm doing, let's paint a picture for people, Andy. Um, let's tell a few stories, give them some profiles to give people the understanding of where you've had some patients that have come in with problems. Um, you and I were talking, we, we had like three different kind of scenarios of people, of, um, people you had, like, let's talk about, uh, you had a patient of menopausal women who frequently come in and they've got mood issues, right? Hello, all of our hormones are flying all over, but mm-hmm. that actually you've helped them through digestion issues, not just let's give you supplemental hormones. Oh, absolutely. Um, what I tell them is that hormones are regulated in your body, perhaps more so around menopause than at other times, um, by your liver's ability to bind and remove the waste products of hormone metabolism. It's a little bit like cleaning up the exhaust system on your car and being surprised that it runs better. Now, the liver's ability to bind and remove these substances depends a great deal on not only what you eat, but how well you digest the food. So if you can get that working well, if you can upregulate your digestion, if you can help to improve liver function, oftentimes I'd say maybe 70, 75% of the time, the symptoms associated with perimenopause and menopause begin to disappear, including that um, feeling of uh, being psychologically off, shall we say. So how does, so give me a story. Someone named so-and-so came into your office, she complained, Mm -hmm. and here's how you helped her. All right. The first thing that I did is I analyzed her diet. Okay. And she needed to continue to have maybe half of her diet as raw or lightly cooked foods. And then I said, how much time do you take with your meal? She said, what are you talking about? I said, if you don't break the food down in your mouth and you mix it with saliva adequately, you're wasting your time eating. And that was kind of a surprise to her. And then I said, the other thing we have to remember is that the stomach creates an extraordinary amount of hydrochloric acid. There's no such thing as excess stomach acid. Most of the time, people under stress and certainly people around menopause will produce less than the requisite amount of stomach acid. And the digestive process is like a cascade. If there's insufficient stomach acid, everything else begins to fall away, including the stomach's direct stimulating effect on the liver and the gallbladder. I said, okay, fine. That's the chain of events get the stomach working, put in the proper food, make sure you've got digestive enzymes working, support your liver with the appropriate vitamins and minerals, not too terribly hard of an issue. And then don't be surprised if the environment in the large intestine changes because you're feeding the 10 to the 18th microorganisms down there, they're doing a better job and you'll have less of a problem with constipation and your mood and temperament will lighten up just based on that alone. Sometimes we have to put in a bulk and fiber supplement to help people that are a little bit constipated, but oftentimes just treating things at the top end with proper digestion, chewing, and stomach acidity can kick everything into gear. So, and that's a really important part. Again, we're going to talk about how serotonin is produced in your, in your gut. It's mm-hmm. fueled, you mentioned tryptophan, 
which is an amino acid that's in food. So we're going to get mm -hmm. to that piece. But if you don't have adequate stomach acid, you're not digesting your nutrition, your nutrients. Right. And you're probably not going to be able to um, break out the tryptophan from the protein sources too. So, um, you know, it uh, just makes good sense. If you don't turn it into a mush in your mouth, your stomach acid won't be able to get to it. And then the subsequent uh, digestive enzymes won't be able to bring the tryptophan out of the mix so that you can create serotonin from it. Got it. All right. Let's talk about a middle-aged man that came into you. Mm -hmm. Okay. With the, um, with the middle-aged man, it um, is usually a matter of um, getting him to pay more attention to what it is that he's eating. Well, hold on. What's his, what's his complaint? Some guy yeah, comes his, in, he says, Dr. Amy, his, I got a problem. You say, yeah, I got, a pro problem? I got a problem. But yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting more depressed. I'm not as happy as I used to be. Um, my sex life is terrible. I'm not that interested in my wife. I don't want to exercise anymore. I'm getting fat around the middle. I feel like I'm prematurely aging. Can we at least slow this down, if not turn it around? And when he came and, in, was he thinking that he was having some testosterone issue, some other issue going on that you know, his libido is low and he's getting, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he, you know, he said, look, I, I went to my uh, urologist and the urologist, uh, you know, gave me the old wiggly finger test and said, the prostate is fine. Took a blood test and said that the testosterone levels were fine. And I explained to him, I said, listen, hormones are not just a matter of how much you have in circulation, but how sensitive to the, uh, to the hormone the receptor is. And a lot of that has to do with making sure that your liver can get rid of the downstream metabolites. Like with a woman getting rid of her estrogen and uh, progesterone metabolites are downstream products. The same thing with a man with his testosterone products. It's the best way to get the receptor sensitivity up. I said, that is going to help you. But think about it this way. Try to regard your body almost like you would regard your car. If you're putting bad gasoline in the car, it doesn't make any sense to bring it to a fine mechanic to have it tuned up. He'll just uh, you know, tell you to go away and put some good gas in and come back. So we have to look at your diet. We have to work with your diet, how your stress is impacting, again, your stomach acid and your liver function. So there's commonality there. But um, I, I told him, I said, listen, with um, men and women, there are a lot of similarities with the hormones. We're going to concentrate on your testosterone. But I will bet you that if you improve your diet, you improve the way that you digest your food. You improve your body's ability to tease out the nutrients from that food. You're going to do a much better job in all of those respects and everything, including your libido will probably benefit. So, so, so what did you have him do? And then what did his mood come up? So his, his. Yeah, I had him, I had him improve his diet and get, give me a diet diary. And I told him I wasn't going to tell him to uh, sit on the mountaintop for four hours a day and, uh, and chant uh, old uh, cosmic rituals. But uh, I said, listen, there are going to be some things that are going to work better for you. There are going to be some things that don't. Um, lay off the fried foods. Lay off the processed foods. Try to to, to get more salads in your in your diet. Um, eat uh, like I was telling the woman earlier. Eat your foods lightly processed or um, or lightly cooked. Get more roughage going on in there. It's not just keeping you regular, but it's improving the environment in your large intestine. And All of this is going to contribute to your health. And the whole goal of that, not eating fried foods, not eating unhealthy foods, not eating tons of sugar, all that, mm -hmm. is to be able to create an environment where your body can process, again, these nutrients, to be able to absorb it, to be able to manufacture 
the serotonin and whatever else needs to be. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And that doesn't happen if you don't get the nutrients in. And also, if you don't support the bacteria that are living in your large intestine, that oftentimes number more than the cells in your body. Right. So, so let's go back up to that manufacturing. Let's now we've dabbled around it. Let's go back to kind of straight in, in terms of the serotonin manufacturer. So we said 80% mm-hmm. of it is in your gut. And what okay. it does is it is that the um, it needs tryptophan and amino acid to produce. Right. It's so made that's, from tryptophan. That's the fuel for, for us to produce it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And um, most, uh, most people that uh, are on a uh, mixed diet um, that um, aren't vegetarians will get more than an adequate amount of tryptophan from poultry and beef and pork. And the people that are vegetarian or vegans can get it from tofu and edamame. And um, they can be lacto-ovo vegetarians and they can uh, consume milk and, uh, and eggs and get tryptophan from that. And so um, it's more a matter of getting the tryptophan to down convert into the serotonin. There are a number of steps that are involved so, in that that involve other nutrients like calcium and magnesium, involve the B vitamins, etc. So um, you're better off not just relying on having more tryptophan or adequate tryptophan, but also on the supportive function of good nutrition and a good diet and good processing. All right. So does it take? Do I need? Do I need a lot of? Tryptophan a day is one serving of chicken enough? Two oh, eggs yeah. a day enough? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. It's not a lot. So in fact, so no. people need to eat foods that have it, which they probably are at some point because it's things like milk, it's eggs, it's beef, vegetarians. As Andy said, you can get it in edamame or oatmeal actually is a good source of it. But, yeah, tofu is, right. is good too. So, so. But what seems to be happening then, most people are probably getting it in but they're not processing properly. Exactly. Now we're back to the digestion problem that mm-hmm. people are mm-hmm. having. Um, you mentioned actually something that was really frightening to me, um, that there was a study that showed that your genetic expression, that, if, that depending on what you ate in a meal, that the genetic expression would change for a period of time. As after, and it was an extended period. Can you explain that again? I want to understand if you, the food that you get into your digestion, if your digestion is not working properly, you're actually changing your genetic expression. You're changing your genetic expression. At first, we thought it was going to be the effect of having bad food over a period of time. And then we thought it was having uh, a series of bad meals over three or four days. Now, what we're realizing is that genetic expression changes in reaction to every single meal that's consumed. So if you have um, food which promotes inflammation, if you have food which has a lot of processed ingredients in it, if you have food which is not particularly nutrient dense, you are changing the way that your genes are expressing themselves in the gut. This is one thing that people don't readily understand is that it's not like we're talking about um, having a genetic defect, like someone with Down syndrome. What it is, we're talking about the way that genes can manifest in different ways, depending on how they're challenged. So you can literally reinvent your genetic expression almost hour by hour, depending on what foods you eat. And so, so you're constantly- So what does that look like? You know, tell me, so I ate a cupcake, what'd that do to me? I ate broccoli, what did that do to me? So you, okay. know, you and I are throwing around the term gene expression. 
Mm-hmm. Let's translate that now into English. Or okay. Into, or into um, like on Monday morning. Right. When when gene expression is changed in response to a um, non-nutrient dense, sugar loaded, fat loaded, processed food material, it lends to the shift in the in the bacterial population in the large intestine, which will favor more the creation of inflammatory products. You'll be more uh, vulnerable to to IBS. You'll be more vulnerable to constipation. The lining of the large intestine will become uh, hopefully transiently more permeable so that compounds that should be kept in the uh, tube that runs through you and eventually out into the toilet um, end up streaming into your body and affecting mood and temperament, uh, affecting immune function um, uh, and uh, a myriad of other functions from uh, uh, from uh, cognitive uh, abilities to sleep uh, depth and uh, efficaciousness. I mean, the whole thing will, will really begin to uh, come apart at the seams. A lot of people won't realize it and make the associations, but if you uh, begin to focus on how much better you feel after having good meals, particularly in a series of them, and then see what happens to you when you don't, you'll begin to understand the associations. And at, with each of those meals, where does the gut flora come into that? The gut flora will come into it based on what is left from the digestive process when the food enters the large intestine. So if the digestion is going to be hobbled or is incomplete because of the nature of the food, there are going to be compounds in there that will favor um, the development of bacteria, which are going to create gas that are going to create inflammation. Um, With protein, for example, if the digestion of protein is sufficiently insufficient, if you will, um, you can create compounds that are uh, associated with the uh, production of colorectal cancer. So it's not just an innocuous change. It's something that can lead you uh, down the road to uh, really bad illnesses. But be that as it may, the compounds that are being created in the large intestine based on bad food and poor digestion Um, are going to generate materials that are going to get out of the intestine. Most of them come up to the liver and the liver is the storehouse and the manufacturing area for where most of the biologically active compounds in the body are produced. And so you're distorting that reserve. So it's almost like you're not only getting bad deliveries from your supplier, but you're also stacking the um, materials in your warehouse that you really can't use and you're going to have to get rid of. So it's, it's just, it's a poor idea and it has a number of uh, uh, levels of interference that begin with poor digestion and the changes that happen in the gut. So let's bring that flora now back around to the serotonin manufacturer. Sure. So, so now, so I've eaten this inflammatory foods. I've upset my gut flora, which again, Mm -hmm. we've talked about in other places. Um, and is that that blocking the manufacturer as well? So again, we're not, you know, the, I'm trying to put, pull these pieces together so that people can understand that if they mm-hmm. eat the good foods, they can produce the serotonin to make themselves feel good. Um, okay. Get more of that into the body. So, and there are yeah. the 
finding the places where we're suppressing that manufacture so that our, our guts can't produce the serotonin if our we don't bring food, good food in and if our floor is off. Is that, yes? It, yeah, that's, that's right. And if we don't chew thoroughly and we don't have enough acid in our stomach and unmask, if you will, or tease out the tryptophan. And then if the tryptophan isn't um, bound onto transport protein in the uh, liver that's made from the things that you assimilate from digesting and absorbing good foods, it can't be delivered down to the uh, tissue that immediately underlines the lining of the gut. And uh, then also your digestive process is going to interfere with the ability to tease out enough calcium and magnesium to work in conjunction with that, as well as to influence the hormones that can up and down regulate the conversion of tryptophan into serotonin. So uh, there are a complex series of events that go on, not only uh, with the lining of the large intestine being inflamed due to a bad meal, but also to the effects of uh, improper digestion and improper dietary choices on the uh, other, other materials and the other factors that will affect the production of serotonin from the tryptophan. So it's not just adding the tryptophan in, it's not just the interference with bad bacteria overgrowing in the large intestine, it's all of the other factors that can contribute to that. So um, it's, it's complex. It's, it's all complex and it's, it's so interesting. <laughs> I mean, it's, I keep talking, there's so many aspects of our bodies and our, um, you know, the hormones and our emotions, that's this like Mobius strip, you know, that it, it all feeds on itself. So, it, you know, it goes down into the gut and then it goes back up to the liver. And then you need the absorption of the other nutrients in order to be able to take the tryptophan, absorb that, come back down and then manufacture the serotonin. So like and that is precisely why um, pharmacological interventions are great in the short run, but in the long run, don't work particularly well. You nailed it exactly right because of all of these intersecting, if you will, constellations of influence. Why not trust in the mechanisms that are built into the body and try to allow them to work better to get yourself healthier rather than waiting until you're sick to try to suppress something that isn't working, you know? Yeah, I'm with you. All right, so let's talk for a moment about yours and my favorite topic um, because you, you refer to stomach acid, you refer to getting enough hydrochloric acid in and um, that a significant number of people that are suffering, again, there's depression that a lot of people that are depressed have stomach issues, a lot of people with stomach issues end up with depression issues. Um, and one of the biggest problems or things that are going on is stomach acid, and then the, the medical intervention of acid suppressants. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, if you go to a doctor and you have a really bad pain in your stomach and they put a scope down there and they say, aha, you have an ulcer, I'm gonna give you acid suppressant or acid blocking medication. And I want you to take it for a period of time, two or three weeks. That's, that's fine, that's smart. The only problem is that a lot of people are taking it over the counter. A lot of people are taking it for more than two or three weeks. And um, so FDA approved- And necessarily giving it to them because they got scoped. Yeah, well, they FDA, FDA, FDA approves it for- yeah, they, they, it's only approved for use for maybe two or three weeks. It's not approved for use beyond that. And if you don't have adequate stomach acid going on, um, the vast majority of nutrients that you're eating just go in one end and out the other. It's crazy. Um, you need to have acid in your stomach strong enough with meals that if you 
took a, um, uh, a shot glass of that of that acid and put in a uh, pea-sized uh, ball of hamburger meat, it would be dissolved in a few minutes. That's what you need to have going on in order to not only digest things well in the stomach, but also to signal the liver and the gallbladder and the rest of the digestive cascade so that you can tease out things like tryptophan and you can get that into the brain and the gut and then you can control the mood and temperament. Now, people who are anxious, people who are um, uh, enduring chronic stress will tend to produce less stomach acid. As we age, we tend to produce less stomach acid. And so that's, if you said to me, okay, so what is a supplement that most of the people end up taking that come to see you? And it would be um, a um, formula of digestive enzymes of one sort or another to aid and abet that. And to be very honest with you, that takes care of three quarters of the problems that they present with, be it psychological, be it physiological, that they have joint pains, that they're not interested in their spouse anymore, that their energy is terrible, they're not sleeping well at night. You give them a digestive enzyme and, and uh, most of that begins to, um, to improve. Makes me look good. So let me ask you a dirty question. Though. So which, which comes first? Does the, the, the emotional distress, serotonin not being produced well first, so then they feel bad and then they cycle back or is it that they, did they start with digestive issues that then suppress the serotonin? Like, are there people that just happen to have low serotonin manufacturing? Yeah. People that are on unusually restrictive diets, either due to poverty or um, because they're trying to do something, they read a book somewhere and they're getting really uh, poor sources of essential amino acids, including tryptophan. Um, usually it's a problem with digestive efficacy that leads to um, insufficient serotonin production rather than insufficient serotonin production causing stress and causing a decrease in stomach hydrochloric acid. Most people who are chewing their food well, who are eating um, good food, who are not unduly restricting salt will digest properly and will produce enough hydrochloric acid. What Think about it. hydrochloric acid. It's a combination of hydrogen that's all over the place and the mineral chlorine. Where does chlorine come from? Salt. That's another one that is unfortunate. There are some people that become hypertensive from using salt. Most people don't. Insufficient serum sodium is probably the second or third leading cause of death in the world. No. That's why the original compensation for labor, um, people were paid in salt. That's why they called it salary. Oh, that's an interesting tidbit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, back in the, uh, you know, in the desert, all that stuff, biblical right. times. So I understand um, adults having digestive challenges that then cycle back into emotional issues. There's a huge increase in children with depressive issues um, and children with emotional issues, especially in this recent year through COVID. So how do you explain that? Are they having, um, you know, are, is digestion at the root of their issues as well? Or is there something else going on there? And again, acknowledging there's also more kids with celiac that's happening. There's more kids with 
Um, you know, there are kids being put on asset suppressants. Is again, where's the start of this ball of string? I think it is um, the influence of two major issues. Number one, really trying to make sure that children eat right and not just giving them something to placate them. They're making you nuts. They're making a lot of noise. You're working from home. You need some quiet, et cetera. Here, have some banana wacky cereal, have some sugar smacks, have some um, uh, some uh, whatever, uh, you know, I even forget the name of what the uh, current candies are um, that will make them feel fine for a little while, but then will disrupt them um, further on. And there are a lot of studies that show the devastating effects of too much sugar and too much corn syrup. The other thing is that um, when parents are stressed, children tend to be stressed. Um, children, um, certainly below the age of seven or eight, will look at um, their parents as being infallible and doing no wrong and being potentially happy people and being everything and, and anything that uh, an adult should be. And so if they're not, it has to be the child's fault. So they take that on psychologically. And that begins to um, cause stress and interfere with um, adequate amounts of stomach acid and uh, um, begin, to, uh, begin to tax them. Um, it's, um, it's problematic because it, it usually will involve the family as well as what it is that they're eating. And my success with children has been sitting them down and speaking to them very directly and not speaking down to them, speaking with them and explaining that um, it's their responsibility to help themselves to feel better and that um, it's really up to them to help their parents to help them to feel better. So I try to empower them and encourage them to eat well and um, make, a, uh, make a game out of uh, chewing the food and not uh, grazing. I said, listen, we're not walking around on all fours and mooing, okay? That's not the way we should eat. We should eat three or four meals a day. So go out and play and work up an appetite and then come back in and sit down with your parents and talk about pleasant things and I want to know that everything that you put in your mouth, you turn into applesauce before you swallow it. So let's let's go back to the the um, food that we're getting in the poor quality of the food, the sugar food. So start. You know, there's been if I if I had graphs here, we'd probably see that there you know, from the in the last fifty or seventy years, there's been this increase in emotional issues. There's been an increase in depression. There's an increase in stress. There's an increase in all, all that sort of stuff which mm -hmm. ties with the change in our food sources, which ties with the increase in um, packaged foods and processed foods. Um, I, you know, I always joke, I was a child in the sixties. I grew up on Fruit Loops and Pop-Tarts and you named the junk and I ate it. And it, I paid the price as you and I know, I haven't eaten it in 20 years, basically. Um, so are, have we created, when you start them out, uh, you know, is, is my generation who, you know, started out there, you know, that, did they create, did they damage the manufacturing site early? And are we in feeding children fruit roll-ups or whatever, but it has fruit in the name, um, damaging the equipment to start with. So we're creating a deficit for the manufacturing site. And again, so then they can't produce the serotonin 
on their own? And can you rebuild that? Good point. Um, you are creating a deficit. The longer it goes on, the more profound the deficit is and the more um, underlying systems it impacts. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm a little bit older than you. I had the same sort of influences and whatever. And uh, I'm thinking about the effects of diet and nutrition. Uh, the pediatricians at the time basically said it really didn't matter what you were feeding children. It didn't matter how soon foods were introduced. Um, uh, breastfeeding was kind of passe. The infant formulas were much better nutrition. Children needed to drink four glasses of milk a day to keep their bones healthy and strong, all of the rest of that stuff. And that led to, in my generation, probably two thirds of the children having their tonsils and their adenoids taken out. Nowadays, it's one out of 200, one out of 250. So the awareness changed. But in terms of the damage to the system, um, it really depends on how pervasive the um, bad food choices were and how early they were instituted. Yeah, you can really um, permanently hobble someone for years, if not their entire lives, by um, introducing um, low quality foods, introducing foods too quickly in the first year of life, um, a tremendous effect. Um, the mother's diet while the child is in the womb will influence the child rather dramatically as well. So there's a lot that can be said about that. But um, in terms of permanent damage, um, most of it is recoverable, thankfully. We're a, a very forgiving organism. All right, so high level, let's talk about what people can do to rebuild that back. So we probably talked about it in bits and pieces, but let's focus right. on it now, you know, in the three steps of what should they do to be able to build back their serotonin manufacturing, you know, their factory. Okay, eat a well-balanced meal, eat three square a day, chew your food very, very thoroughly. Well meal being heavy in being fruits and vegetables, whole grains. What, what's um, Close to half of the food should be lightly cooked or raw. Um, there should be a dinner salad and lunch should be, what am I going to have with my lunch salad? Really, that's going to make a tremendous difference for people. That's going to help a lot. Chewing the food very, very thoroughly, not flushing the food down with water, trying to keep the stomach concentrated uh, during the meal time so that uh, you drink your water, certainly, but um, uh, try to uh, leave it alone from about half an hour before to an hour after you get done eating. That's going to help. Um, in terms of grains, um, probably there are more people that are afraid of being gluten sensitive than really are. Um, however, it is an anti-metabolite. It does challenge the system. So if you want to um, stay away from gluten, that's fine. If you want to limit uh, grains, which are uh, going to be more um, commonly problematic, you should decrease your wheat intake and increase your rice intake um, and try to avoid the, uh, the hazard of using simple sugars. Um, just stop drinking soda. Okay. It doesn't make any sense. Um, there are over 50 ingredients in there that aren't on the label. Um, you don't want to take the stuff. You also don't want to consume that much phosphorus. 
of phosphoric acid is used to keep the bubbles in the soda so it's nice and sparkly the whole time. And that will um, uh, deplete uh, calcium and magnesium from your bones, not a good idea. Um, and try to have a good mixed meal, try to relax around meal time. And probably if you're over 40, find a uh, nutritionally competent advisor slash physician who can um, get you on a good digestive enzyme system. Um, and probably in this day and age, it's a good idea to have people supplementing with a multi B vitamin to support the liver and to support mood and temperament that is going to help tremendously with the um, conversion of tryptophan into serotonin and the absorption of tryptophan from the meal. Can, um, well, papaya enzymes, which seems a lot more um, benign than digestive enzymes. Can people just try that to start with? Oh, um, it'll make your, it'll make your stomach feel good in between meals. Will it help with any of this or you really have to go all the way to, you really have to, no, you really have to go all the way. I mean, uh, yeah, uh, yeah um, papain and papaya is very nice for um, helping aid digestion. But if you're producing too little stomach hydrochloric acid, you really won't get the job done unless you kick that into gear. And so a good multi-component digestive enzyme is really uh, going to be the best way to go forward, but do it, do it under advice. Do, is, it, is that safe for somebody to dabble on on their own? They can get digestive enzymes over the counter. Is that, you know, you can get it in health food stores. Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the honest truth is that uh, most people will benefit from it. It won't bother them, but um, you are taking something with the intention of um, altering a physiological uh, function and perhaps uh, addressing a disease so therefore you're self-prescribing and um, you're really best off at least getting some sort of oversight, maybe not you know, uh, as frequently as you might see a medical doctor in the past, but some sort of informed oversight from someone like a, uh, like a naturopathic physician who formally studies this stuff and also uh, um, works with it in the clinic. And that's what I tell people is like, you know, there are different types of doctors for different sorts of issues. And we have specialists that go into various areas. As naturopathic physicians, we specialize in being generalists, but we also specialize in wellness. And we not only have formal training in it in the classroom, we also have training in clinical rounds. And that really makes all the difference in the world. Got it. Okay. So just, I just want to let everybody know there are a number of questions that have come in and I'm going to ask those in just a minute. We'll go through your questions. Um, I have one other thing that I want to ask you before we get to those. So if anyone else has questions, go line them all up. Um, what should somebody who's on an SSRI do, Andy? Number one, they have to appreciate that the longer they've been on it, the longer it's going to take them to get off it. And you don't go to cold turkey on. Oh, no, 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 no. That's... Uh... Uh, especially if you've been on it for quite a while, you'll really be quite miserable. Um, get someone on board that um, can help you to um, stimulate the increased production of uh, tryptophan. Someone who can help you to uh, bring out the uh, uh, waste products or the byproducts of the drug so that you can benefit from less of a dose of the drug and get the same beneficial effect. 
do it in tandem with the prescriber. You don't want to um, surprise the physician that's prescribed it and say, oh yeah, by the way, I've been tapering the stuff and I'm working with a dietitian, I'm working with a naturopath, et cetera, et cetera. And this is what I'm doing now and I'm not feeling so great. What do I do next? Um, they're going to get angry with you. Um, involve everybody and get a good objective opinion and remember that the choice is yours, but you can taper off, but you should do it with support and you should do it gradually. Well, and is it also, again, taper off while you're building up this natural system? So while you're Absolutely. improving your digestion, while you're improving your liver function to be able to process the nutrients. Yeah, right. That, that way you're not going to crash and burn right. while you're doing yeah. it. Yeah. Well, and that you know, so I know that with cortisol, when you take prednisone, your body stops producing, it reduces your production on its own because you've replaced the cortisol. So, which is why you have to taper off of that so that your, your manufacturing site comes back up. Is that the same thing with serotonin that as they've forced the serotonin reuptake, um, that the serotonin manufacturer has gone down and you have to rebuild that? Serotonin manufacturer initially secondarily serotonin receptor site sensitivity thirdly the creation of the same number of serotonin receptors as you had before and then other changes beyond that so you're talking about at least three levels of compensation that the the second one takes weeks and the third one takes months so don't be short with yourself realize that it's a process that's going to take a while and realize that most drugs produce a workaround in the body. So getting off them is sometimes more um, complicated than you might imagine. So you definitely need support. All right, let me give you some of these questions that people have asked. Um, I've got one. So a couple of them that relate to, let's see, um, should people, we talked about salt before. Um, should people with high blood pressure avoid salt or can they use it within reason? They should have their salt regularly monitored um, and they should see if salt reduction does have an effect on their blood pressure. Those people who do respond to um, elevated uh, intake of salt with elevated blood pressure are perhaps 35 to 40% of the population. So it's possible, but it's not probable that salt intake will elevate blood pressure. See if there's a correlation for yourself and getting your blood pressure taken, no problem. Going to the local police station, the local fire department, they're sitting around waiting to practice blood pressure medicine, measurement. You can get it done as often as you want with, with these folks. Do it that way rather than investing in a blood pressure cuff or a little uh, automatic blow-up machine that you have at home. They're usually quite inaccurate. So see if it works for you. And remember that you don't want to have it go too low. Your physician will test your um, salt levels in circulation and let you know if they're within bounds or they're too high or too low. That can be a good guide. Gotcha. Okay. Now there are a couple of, there's some fermented foods, kimchi, sauerkraut, pickles, et cetera, that mm -hmm. in general, fermented foods are thought about being good for digestion but some of those also can be high in salt. Which way do you go? See if the salt bothers you. Okay. If it doesn't, don't be crazy about it, but don't worry about it um, either. Um, the, um, 
the army actually um, mandates that soldiers take salt pills that are working in hot environments because you lose it through sweat. Um, so it's very, very important. The fermented foods have some very interesting qualities and characteristics that in many cases will help uh, improve digestion and uh, uh, work very beneficially in the system. Also fermentation will tend to uh, make certain nutrients uh, more easily teased out of the food. So uh, they've been used in different cultures for many, many years and uh, uh, oftentimes will take away some of the challenging uh, components within food. Uh, uh, for example, um, uh, clabbering uh, dairy products will make the dairy product far less antigenic. People who can't tolerate uh, cow's milk and certain types of cheese may find that uh, the more highly um, fermented or highly clabbered the dairy product is, the more easily it can be consumed, less problematic. Gotcha. All right. And somebody asked about, this is a little bit off topic, but I think it's an interesting question. Um, what's your opinion on the current intermittent fasting craze? Ah. It works very well for some. It, it works for some of its timed eating. Right? It, so yeah, it right. Well, it it, it, it works it. very it works very well for some people. Other people, it doesn't seem to work too terribly well. Um, my advice is to first try to stop grazing and snacking. Try to stay away from food, and if you get a little bit hungry, have a glass of water, um, and then have your full meal and do that three times a day if you want to have a little something in between have some have some fruit and 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 uh, don't um, necessarily get into the um, intermittent fasting um, if you want to try it you can but pay attention to how you feel that should be the guide do you believe in the benefits of it they say that by intermittent fasting that you're giving your cells a chance to i guess I'll call it kickstart themselves for lack of a better phrase. Well, to, to, to recover, to kick out toxins, to have, take a breather from things. I mean, the, the same sort of thing is accomplished by not grazing and having discrete meals. Um, so that's, so I'll call it five hours is enough of a rest on your system. Usually it is. Usually it is. Remember that we come from hunter gatherers, you know, we weren't always uh, sitting in front of computers and, taking food out of the refrigerator. A lot of times it was running down the meal or digging up a root or waiting for someone in the tribe or the village to cook up the food. And so there was a lot of intermittent fasting that's been um, uh, historically uh, uh, rooted in who we are and how we function. Um, so I, I, I don't see anything wrong with it. I don't see anything bad about it. I've seen people uh, benefit from it. I've seen other people not do very well at all with it. So uh, once again, it's um, something that you can try and see how you see how you feel, see how you do, see how you function, and uh, see how if it works for you. You know, you mentioned something in passing here about not grazing and not snacking, and this is mm -hmm. something I've always joked. I'm a grazer, and I also will. I'm Sarah Heiner. I've taken digestive enzymes since the day I met Andy, um, <laughs> and they actually did make a huge difference for me. Um, cool. the, as you know, um, but I think it's important that, that, um, what the point about not snacking again, that allows the whole, that the hydro, I'm going to call it the hydrochloric system to reboot itself. 
Yeah. But if you're if you have your hose dripping, then you don't have it available for you at the mealtime when you really need it. Right. And there's a complex series of functions that go on around mealtime. There's a anticipation of the meal. There's protective mucus that's produced in the lining of the stomach that keeps the tissue from being irritated by the uh, stomach acid. As you mentioned, the time in recovering and producing the uh, reserve of hydrochloric acid so it can be let out and uh, uh, excreted or secreted, depending on your perspective, into the stomach. So there's a lot of benefit to not grazing on an ongoing basis. Um, but um, again, we know we are individuals and some people um, uh, can do quite well, not only having uh, regular meals, but uh, grazing a little bit and uh, remaining uh, disturbingly fit like my current host. Well, I do, <laughs> but I also take my digestive enzymes and okay. I burn fast. I eat a lot because I'm very active. Yeah, right. I, I know you're out there hiking classes. around the mountains all the time. I know. I need to yeah. consume. All right, everybody. Andy Robin, thank you so much for sharing your time and your wisdom with us. You're um, very welcome. Thank you, everybody, for joining us today. Share this with your friends or family if you think there's anyone that needs this information. Next week, don't forget, we've got vaccines on Wednesday. We've got happiness on Thursday. Um, download the information. Share that. Pass it along to your friends. Please give it away. Let them all know about it. And go out there and be happy and healthy. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. We're living in an unprecedented time when trust in our media and news sources are at an all-time low. It seems that everyone has an agenda, if not a political one, then a business one, as media companies are beholden to advertisers or shareholders. Well, not at Bottom Line. We're a family-owned business and have been free from the influence of advertising since our start nearly 50 years ago focused solely on helping people live happier, more fulfilled lives. Our flagship publication, Bottom Line Personal, provides advice that can be put into action each day, helping people do better and feel better. Thousands of top, highly respected, truth-seeking experts have appeared in Bottom Line Personal on topics in all areas of life, including healthcare, financial planning, home improvement tips, great gift ideas, how to save money on travel, insurance snafus, smart tax strategies, improving your relationships, and so much more. Bottom Line Personal has been helping people lead more informed and vibrant lives for nearly 50 years with our actionable and double fact-checked advice. Subscribe today and get a free bonus book, Bottom Line's Best Bets, full of some of our experts' greatest tips of all time. Just go to bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast. That's bottomlineinc.com forward slash expert podcast.